Welcome into another episode of the Ots and Audibles podcast. We've got a special guest for you today. Joining us on the show to talk a little bit of what's going on in the Lone Star State and Oregon's recruiting success there. Midlands Regional Recruiting Analyst, overall just scouting analyst, Gabe Brooks. Gabe, thanks for joining the show. I think it's your first time on it. Yeah, appreciate you having me, man. So we are, as I said in the open there briefly, Oregon has had an incredible amount of success in a couple of states that you cover and that you scout for and that you know a lot more about than I do. And these are states where Oregon tr traditionally hasn't had a lot of success, at least not recently. Um, the state of Texas, which is, I guess, the primary reason for having someone like yourself on, Oregon has just gone out and, and landed five verbal commitments. And I was looking through the numbers since the 2012 class, so it's about 10 years, 10 cycles. Oregon, before this year in 2022, had just nine verbal commitments that turned into signatures from the state. And one of those was a long snapper. Um, so it's not like this is particularly... You know, this is not something that was expected or not something we've seen recently. Gabe, just to start off before we jump into kind of, you know, analyzing and talking about some of the, the players Oregon's gotten in the fold, were you surprised a little bit with the success here? Because like I just said, it's not exactly been the trend that Oregon goes down to the Lone Star State and, and cleans up a little bit. Uh, you know, yes and no. Like uh, maybe Oregon specifically uh, is a little surprising just simply based on the stuff that you just said that mm – -hmm they haven't been uh, particularly active in Texas in the, you know, recent years, but at the same time, the, the gates to Texas recruiting are as open as ever to outside influences. And that's why you see Ohio state and Alabama and going down the list, uh, you know, Clemson jumping in and getting somebody like Cade Klubnick, the, the big boys all over the country, are recruiting Texas, uh, you know, I think it's, you can probably attribute it some to, to Texas being down uh, the last decade. You know, Texas A&M has started to keep some of these guys at home, especially on defense. And I think you have gradually seen that uh, turn, turn them around with Jimbo Fisher. But when it comes to conferences outside of this region recruiting Texas like the Pac-12 is heavy 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 in Texas uh, and you know USC um, a, a bunch of USC staff is has Texas uh, Texas ties Texas high school ties um, I believe like the head coach you know I think Clay Helton played high school football in the Houston area and you know they got guys like that so there's all kinds of connections like that all over the Pac-12 and it's something that uh, for a while there you know Oregon would kind of come in here there and USC would kind of come in here there and, and the ones that really hit Texas were like Utah, Arizona State, Cal but it's really gotten to where if you're in the Pac-12, uh, you're recruiting Texas just about as hard as you're recruiting anywhere. You know, and for Oregon, it was, it's been kind of an interesting relationship with that state. You, you go back to about the turn of the 2010s, and Oregon did have a lot of success down there, whether it be like Michael James or Darren Thomas or Josh Huff or even Braylon Addison was a guy a couple years after them. Um, even like an Arion Springs was a big recruit, I think, in 2014. But there's been a real cooling off period there. Some of that was staff changes. You know, you go from a staff that was was really, I think, establishing something down there under Chip Kelly 
who, by the way, had to leave in part because of some things with a recruit. His name I didn't mention, which would be Lake Seastrunk, um, <laughs> was, was kind of ushered out the door and I think probably going to take a look at another job anyway. But the history with, in relationship with the state is kind of a long one. I just think it's been interesting in, in the last couple of years to see a little bit more of a reemergence and then this year kind of a breakthrough. And the big part here is, is it's not just that they're getting commitments, it's that they've got a five-star. Kelvin Banks, in the commi- you know, he's committed. He's the highest rated player from the state of Texas to ever pick Oregon. Nicholas Anderson is a four-star wide receiver. That's a pretty big deal for Oregon to go down to a state like that. And offensive tackle Cameron Williams and safety Landon Hullaby were both four-star recruits up until maybe the last two to three months. They're now both three stars. And then you have Stefan Johnson, a three-star wide receiver from DeSoto. And I, I say all of this to, just to, I think we'll transition to this now, is this isn't afterthought recruits anymore. And there was a time where Oregon was getting a couple of the, you know, blue chipper guys, but primarily it was sort of afterthoughts that they were developing, even like a Michael James was, was somebody kind of more in that fold that light than, than maybe some of these guys in this class. Kelvin Banks in particular, Gabe, I want to start there. and It's probably an obvious place to start. How big of a deal is it for Mario Cristobal to land him? And, and then let's talk a little bit about kind of how he projects at the next level. Well, you, you, you kind of alluded to it, uh, you know, for them to, for Oregon to come into Texas and get somebody who not just Texas and Texas A&M have put at the, at the top of the pile, but, a bunch of other, uh, you know, national powers have have put at the top of their offensive line boards. Uh, you know, that's kind of speaks for itself. Uh, as far as you know, what he brings to the class, uh, this is somebody who plays longer than his listed height because you know his the heights. Uh, you know, I, I, something I try to explain to people is that a lot of the times. Um, for for every ten uh, offensive high school offensive line prospects who say they're six six, there may be one or two who is actually six six, and so right, uh, it's a constant battle that we <laughs> we fight in the database because um, you know there's there's a whole lot of people across the network who have access to the database and can update heights and weights and you know some folks. Uh, a player will hit up somebody and say, Hey, can I'm, I'm actually such and such. And, and, you know, he turns out he's not really that big. So then we, we list a guy like Kelvin Banks, you know, I think he, what do we have him listed six, five right now? Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's measured several different events verified anywhere between six, four and six, five, um, north of 300 pounds. I've heard that he may have trimmed up a little bit lately, which is good. Um, I'm based on some recent because we've projected the NFL draft based right. on some some recent draft data. I'm I'm always maybe a little more skeptical than others when, uh, in regards to uh, going high on guys who are already real heavy. Um, so for now, there are, you know there there are obvious exceptions: Penny Sewell, Makai Becton. Like there's exceptions to that, but. Uh, Typically, in recent drafts, these 280, 290 types have, have been more successful than not. Having said that, Kelvin Banks has a, uh, you know, almost seven-foot wingspan. Um, wow. And, and you know, when you're – if you're 6'4 plus and you've got a 6'10 to 7-foot wingspan like that, you have the physical tools to stay on the outside. Um, 
You know, he's heavy-handed. Uh, he's not somebody who's going to be dancing out there on the edge, but he's so long and he's functionally athletic enough that he should have a pretty high pass blocking ceiling. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, he, he may play a little high every now and then, but, but part of that is just being as big as he is. Um, but, you know, I really do. I think he's going to be a difference maker in the run game because uh, I think his hand technique and, you know, obviously size and strength, and he's pretty punchy. And there, there's a lot of uh, – the vast majority of high school prospects, even a lot of really good ones, are not punchy yet. Um, and that's something that, that they develop uh, in college. And I, you know, he flashes some pretty encouraging uh, – and pretty encouraging punch as a run blocker. And, and that's something that should translate to, to the passing game uh, as, as he develops. I think the thing, and I'm not paid to analyze recruits, but I certainly watch the guys that commit to Oregon and, and provide a little bit of that for the site. But I think the thing that stood out for me with Banks, Gabe, is just like he's a tackle and they use, you know, he's, they use him almost like a pulling guard. I mean, they, they, they run plays with the intent of basically using him as a lead blocker. And at 6'5", 300, I don't think I expect to see many high school kids able to move like he does and to create space and to be so dominant at the point of attack. So like, I'm with you in terms of like the run block part is the thing that I was watching going like, my gosh, this guy's got some incredible upside. And do do you, do you have a, I mean, and maybe this is, and this is actually just a question that maybe more less specific to banks, but maybe more just kind of like big picture for you. But like, do you, when you look at these tackles, do you have in mind right tackle, left tackle? I guess I just ask with Banks in particular, do, do you have a sense of which side would be better for him? I, I think when you watch his tape that he kind of looks like a – like his play style is that of a right tackle. Agreed. But, but I do think he's long enough that he could eventually be a left side guy just based on how he develops. And, I mean, you, you got to think part of the reason he, he – picked Oregon is because of the the O-line rep with with the staff and uh, that's you know he's probably going to get developed pretty well and um, that's that's something that you have to take into consideration. Yeah no question about it Oregon has about as good of a job as as at most I think any school in the country with developing offensive line talent Mario Cristobal as the head coach I think kind of runs that but Alex Mirabal deserves a lot of credit the Oregon offensive line coach and you mentioned his name earlier. Penny Sewell comes to mind as somebody who was, I think we had him pegged as an offensive guard coming out of Utah. It ends up being a starting left tackle from day one and, and really, really develops into something special. Um, I think Banks now has supplanted Sewell and even the class before this, Kingsley Sumatia, as the highest rated offensive line recruit in this class. Someone to be really, really excited about. Oregon fans are, are very much, I think, prepared for this offensive line to, to be really the motor for this program offensively going forward with, with kind of what they're developing there. And obviously lots of skill talent, but boy, up front and a guy like Banks in particular in this 2022 class, if he ends up signing, it, it's going to be an extremely talented front for Oregon going forward. Let's stay with the offensive line, Gabe, just because we're kind of already in that conversation. You mentioned some of the draft data you know, maybe not, you prefer kids to be under 300 pounds out of high school. Here's a guy in Cameron Williams, who's certainly not that we list him at six, five, three sixty. Um, this is an offensive tackle. What do you, what do you, what do you know about Cam Cameron Williams and, and kind of at three sixty? is, is that weight? How does he carry that? Cause I think you see that number and I think it's pretty jarring at first. You know, when you see him in person, you, you probably don't think that he's quite as, 
as big as he's listed. Um, he, not that he's, you know, carved out of granite, but he, he wears it fairly well considering how big he is. Uh, he weighed, I think, even heavier than that on the camp circuit, but uh, I, I believe he's another one who I've heard lately he's trimmed down. And, you know, the, the, the reticence with going too high on guys who are really big is just that it is so much easier uh, for these guys. And, and, I mean, just think about regular people. It's so much easier you go to college to gain weight than lose weight. And – uh, that is definitely that's definitely the data that we've come across looking at, at the last few drafts. Now, another flip side of that is the uh, these kids are getting bigger, so right, uh, you know, and it seems like even within the last two or three cycles, like the the offensive linemen have noticeably gotten bigger and bigger, like in and in, in not necessarily height and length, but just in sheer mass. So. You know, there there probably will be some kind of uh, data correction at some point, just based on that. But um, you know, you, you, the 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 whole thing is is that you know you know I think that you got to look at you got to trust what your eyes tell you. But I'm really big on the the data side of it, and I you know if there's you know, I'm not going to say that I always trust the data over what my eyes tell me because what your eyes tell you is kind of your foundation. Right. Um, but the data matters. And, you know, I think baseball and basketball have been a lot farther ahead of football when it comes to that kind of thing. But football, especially from the scouting side, um, has become much more that way in recent years. Uh, you know, as far as what Cameron, can, uh, Cameron Williams does on the field, I mean, he's what you would expect for somebody listed at his size. He's he's a mauler. He's a run game mauler. He he will just uh, swallow up uh, defensive linemen with his size. And he's he's another one. He's super long. He I think he has around six eleven, approaching seven foot wingspan. And you know, again, this is somebody who he doesn't have the lateral quickness that's that's ideal like you're gonna be that heavy it's gonna to be tough to but sure. he's, you know he's going somewhere they've not only have they proven they can develop offensive linemen in general they've proven they can they are totally fine taking big heavy guys with with reach and turning them into something so you know the that 86 that kind of between mid and high three-star grade we have on him, you know, that's certainly one that I think about that could come back to, to bite us down the road. Now that's not final grade, um, obviously has a, a whole other season left and he plays for a program that plays elite competition at the highest level in Texas. Uh, you know, he was on an offensive line last year that has Sadion Bird, who is a, a top 100 uh, offensive line signee with Oklahoma. Uh, he is a teammate of Jalen Early, who is a four-star offensive lineman in this same class. So, you know, Duncanville rolls out like uh, four, I think, I think four guys last year who were P5, or three P5s and a guy who signed FCS who was, uh, you know, 6'4", 290. And, you know, they, they, they have six or seven uh, P5 guys on each side of the ball. Uh, so it's, 
he he iron is sharpening iron. Like he's getting serious reps in practice. Uh, you know, he's facing guys like Amari Abor, who is uh, I believe number eleven or twelve somewhere around there, in the updated top two four seven for the twenty uh, twenty twenty two class. Um, I mean, these are the guys he goes up against practice every day, and then he plays teams uh, that are just a who's who of uh, Texas high school football in the regular season. So um, this is somebody who's going to show up ready. He's listed as an offensive tackle. I know he plays there, I think, at Duncanville as well. Is it, do you think there's a possibility he could move inside? And I ask that not because I of any slight on him, just because you look at what Oregon's done the last two cycles, and it's, I think, three of their five highest-rated offensive tackle signees, assuming Banks is a signee and not just a commitment, um, from these cycles. And that kind of puts a little pressure on someone like Williams who's also listed there to actually play. Like, is there upside, do you think, for him to, move, to slide inside, or, or is he tackle all the way from, your, from where you're sitting? No, I, I think there's certainly uh, a chance, a good chance he could go inside. You know, I, I think based on his athletic qualities and his size and his length that he's clearly a right tackle candidate. But as you said, but those other guys they've got, um, I mean, they've got they've got serious dudes um, who, who are probably going to be locking up the tackle spots. And he – it may play to his, his strength, um, pun intended, to – slide inside because he's he's going to be somebody that uh you know you've, you've got guys like that lining up inside there's not gonna you're not probably not gonna have to worry a ton about a gap pressure and that kind of stuff because not only is he taking up a bunch of space but he's he's really long really long i think that's intriguing actually and in, in fact we've my my typical podcast co-host matt Freeman and i have been talking a little bit about the 2022 and, and beyond the offensive line, we're kind of trying to figure out, okay, you've got Sumatea and Banks probably at tackles, Jackson Powers Johnson probably at center. Um, Dave Ayuli just committed last weekend, so we're thinking maybe he plays guard, and I was trying to figure out who could be the other interior lineman there, and I think Williams maybe makes some sense there, and obviously there's a lot of competition there, and I'm not saying he is the one, but if that is a position he chooses to play or, or the position Oregon plays him at, I would think that would make some sense going forward from a continuity perspective. A couple wide receivers that are committed in this class, Gabe, Nicholas Anderson, Stephon Johnson, Anderson, I think one of the higher-rated kids in this class for Oregon right now is a four-star. Just those two wide receivers, Oregon had a lot of success in 21 at receiver. These two guys, you think they're immediate impact guys? What can you tell us about Anderson and Johnson? You know, I think Anderson is somebody who could potentially be immediate impact. I think Johnson may need some more time. Um, Anderson has some pretty encouraging uh, physical specs. Uh, you know, I, I do wish that there was more uh, it, for both of them. I wish there was more data in the terms of verified speed, particularly track speed. Uh, you know, if you one thing you'll learn about me is that I don't get caught up a ton on forty-yard stuff just because. Because the 40-yard dash is something that really varies from event to event and surface to surface. and Right, right, right. And it's so, like, the, the public perception of the 40 is so skewed. So, you know, like, Nicholas Anderson a year ago, in, you know, in the summer before his junior year, I think was like in the four sevens on a laser. 
and you know, you, there's a lot of people. You know, I don't know, he's not very fast. Like, oh, for a six foot three receiver going into his junior high school, that's pretty fast. Um, I, I think that track, obviously, you know, uh, wind aid and and weather conditions and temperature can affect how an actual athlete performs. But I, the you know, uh, they call it FAT, fully automatic times. Uh, I think that they're just far more reliable and more consistent regardless of the event than uh, these 40-yard things at camps and combines and such. So I always lean toward track. There's not much track data at all on either of these guys. Uh, having said that, Anderson's a legit 6'3", approaching 6'4", uh, almost 200 pounds already. Uh, he's, you know, he's got a pretty big catch radius. Uh, he's got pretty long arms for a kid, uh, for, you know, for a skill position kid. Uh, I think something that, you know, maybe it's not, it's not a criticism of him. Maybe it's not fair um, to point it out too much. It's just, you know, 29 catches, 450 yards, five touchdowns. It doesn't sound like a lot. You, you, you want more production. However, he plays for a, you know, one of the most storied programs in Texas, uh, Katie High, uh, suburban Houston, um, produce, you know, they have a ton of guys every year. And uh, that's just, they run like an I formation with just a receiver to each side. There's always a tight end and a fullback out there. So, you know, they're throwing the ball like 15 times a game, and a lot of it is booting off the of play action. So, a you know, big outside receiver like like Nick Anderson's not going to get a ton of targets relative to, you know, most of these guys who are lining up in in spread offenses, which you know Texas high school football, especially in the larger classifications, are uh, the spread is is pervasive. Um, Stephon Johnson uh, is interesting because you know he has similar production the last couple of years, and he's been this will be his third high school in three years. Now his sophomore year he was at Houston Heights. Had pretty solid production last year. He's at Lancaster. Lancaster uh, is another. Uh, they're they're not 6A, but they're 5A, and they're a talent factory. There's a ton of guys who have come out of Lancaster, um, and and so receivers don't always get the numbers that you would think at Lancaster because they got spread ball around. They always have a running back. I mean, they they you know. Demontre Bradford, the four-star guy, signed with LSU, transferred to Oklahoma this offseason. Uh, he he was one of their – he's their main back for a couple of years while they also had a Boise State rush receiver signing and, uh, you know, all these other guys like this. So, uh, the thing with Stephon Johnson is that he's put up pretty solid numbers in the scope of not having great quarterback play the last two years and – last year particularly, uh, having to share the ball with a bunch of other guys. So, you know, I, I think if we had more verified data, uh, you know, if it was encouraging, um, these guys might be higher. But one thing you, sh you should know about Johnson for sure is that they'll probably get more uh, targets this year because DeSoto is a, uh, is a big 6A power in the Dallas area. That's – uh, Vaughn Miller. I mean, you can go down the whole list of guys who come out of DeSoto. And sure. They they get out there in the gun and they pitch it around, and uh, so Johnson should be 
uh, he, he should have a chance to, to shine this fall. Stylistically with Johnson, you mentioned a little bit of Anderson. Is Johnson someone you could see as an outside receiver or, and, and as well as a slot guy, or where do you kind of perceive him as a fit at Oregon? Yeah, I think that he's somebody who uh, can can fill, you know, uh, plug and play uh, wherever you need a guy on the depth chart or in a certain personnel package. Um, he's tall enough. He's athletic enough. Um, he's a functional athlete, even though there's not a ton of data on him from a speed or agility standpoint. Like you can watch the tape and see him at combines. You can tell, or, or camps, I should say, you can tell that, that, he can get open. So he's somebody, uh, yeah, I think that he certainly could be somebody who they can, uh, you know, mix around in different uh, personnel groupings, whatever they need. Last commitment from the state of Texas that we'll talk about. And then there are a couple other guys that I know you also kind of cover the region or are familiar with. I want to ask about, but Landon Hullaby, Mansfield Timberview, Arlington safety, three-star, Pretty similar recruiting range, actually, from Williams, Hullaby, and Johnson in terms of where they are on the composite. Um, with Hullaby, I, I know he was somebody who I think was a four-star earlier. Is there was there something that like kind of led to a regression in terms of the ranking, or kind of what's the sense with with a player like that? So Hullaby, I'm trying to remember if we had him as a if we started him higher. Um, I think that he's been an 88 for us all the way through. Now, I think you're right when it comes to the composite. I believe he has okay. yeah. slid a bit. Uh, I, you know, I think what it is is that it's, it's not a regression as much as it is just a slower progression. Um, he, he immediately – like, he, he made a splash. Uh, I, I want to say the spring of his freshman year um, kind of – you know, came came out and was performing well. At, he was getting elite camp invites because his older brothers, Jaden Hullaby, who uh, plays at Texas, um, a big uh, power back type of guy who who also was recruited by some schools as a linebacker. But uh, so, so a lot, you know, a lot of schools were familiar with him really early on because they were they were going to Timberview to see uh, see his brother, and they saw him. And they're like, well, this guy this guy can play and he certainly can. And he's, he's somebody who, you know, kind of in the same way that we were talking about Stephon Johnson in the receiver room. Um, I, you know, I think Landon will uh, be able to move around the secondary and, uh, you know, I think he's a safety by trade, but he does have a lot of uh, man coverage reps and he is competent in, in most of those situations um, you know, I, I would like to see him have a little more ball production, um, uh, you know, be a little better on the ball skills side of things. But, uh, he, you know, he's a functional athlete. He's another one we don't have a lot of data on. Um, you know, and, and I say that just to say, like, you know, so if Landon Hullaby, if he's who we know he is right now and he goes out in this, you know, this past spring and he goes 10, 8, 5 in the 100 meters, that – that on top of being what he is on the field is worth discussion for making him a, a 90, a four star. Um, that man, I'm telling you that verified hundred meter speed there, there are several positions that, that there is a direct correlation 
to NFL draft success, running back, uh, cornerback. Uh, I mean, it, pretty much any skill, uh, running back, cornerback, safety, receiver. Uh, I mean, it sounds simple, like the faster you are, the better you are, but that's, that's how it is. And, uh, you know, that, that, you know, does he play? He's not, I don't think he's a burner in his play speed on the field, but he plays fast enough. And I think he's a really high floor guy. Um, and, and probably somebody, again, he's playing, he's playing, I think, big 5A ball here in DFW. He's on a team that has a bunch of other guys every year. They play in a district against a bunch of other guys. Uh, you know, these are, these are guys who, uh, you know, everybody has an adjustment uh, going to college and playing grown men and at the P5 level. But these are guys who are playing in front of, you know, big crowds and against other really good players. And uh, I doubt it's the adjustment that, that a, lot, a lot of guys often face. Gabe, good. I think it's a natural transition. You've mentioned a couple times verifiable track speed. The next guy certainly has that, and that's wide receiver Isaiah Satania out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, I think 10-8 as a freshman in high school down there. I don't know if I've seen times that are better since. But this is a speed guy, and Oregon certainly at receiver, not that they are lacking it, but can use some speed. I think if you if Oregon the last couple of cycles and those listening – are familiar with, with, with the players in, in question here. A lot of really talented wide receivers have signed and are on the roster. I don't know if there's somebody who you can just, you know, point to and say that is a speed guy who takes the, you know, the, the top off of a defense. I'm sure there are guys that can, but Satania, I think, at least is being billed that way. What makes him, aside from the track speed and that he does have that verifiable speed, such an attractive prospect and a, and a top 247 guy? It's, it's the depth of the verified athleticism not only is and like you said there's I don't think that there's uh there's not a ton of 100 meter data since the freshman year he had the 10 8 as a freshman but he, he did go 10 9 7 this year as a junior but he does not run the 100 as much as he runs and jumps some of the other events uh, you know he, he's gone I think his sophomore year he went sub 22 in the 200, which is is rolling pretty well. He's gone north of 24 feet in the long jump. Uh, you know he he's 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 like a highly decorated uh, state champion type in Arkansas track and field. Uh, another thing that that you know, sounds sounds obvious, but uh, it matters is pedigree. I mean his his dad was a all-American decathlete at LSU in the 90s, uh, former head track coach at Texas. His mother was a, a sprinter at LSU in the 90s and uh, sprinted for Jamaica in the Barcelona Olympics. Like, I mean, this this is all stuff that uh, has has proven out in, in recent drafts, like athletic, verified athleticism, athletic profile slash background slash pedigree like this is all really positive stuff and he's kind of the opposite from guys like Anderson or uh, Johnson in that uh, he he really like we really first noticed him because of the track rather than what he did on the field his uh, sophomore year, he you know he had thirty five for almost seven hundred, but only one touchdown. So he averaged about 
20 yards a catch, but he only scored once. But then – That's almost impossible to do, by the way. so weird. I know. I thought that was – I was like, man, that's so strange. But, you know, we had the data from from uh, his freshman track year and into his sophomore track year. Like, well, we got – you know, like I was thinking we should bet on this guy. And, you know, sure enough, his junior year, he's – you see him go 41 for 800 plus and eight touchdowns. So it's it's a gradual progression. I, I think that he's he's definitely field fast. I don't know if he has quite tapped all of that track athleticism while he's in pads on the field yet. But I wouldn't worry about it. I think it's probably coming. Um, for uh, he's probably somebody who was a track athlete first and then picked up football. And in that case, the chances are he, you know, he, he, it, it takes time for those guys like that, just like guys who go from basketball to football to get used to being out there in pads and moving with them and running like they normally do and all that. So, you know, he's somebody that I, I, I think he's very intriguing. Um, you know, he, I, I'm not, not that I could promise anything right now anyway, but if he had a monster season, I would have to think he could go up in the top two, four, seven, because the profile is is outstanding. Slight digression, Gabe. Before we ask, I ask you about one more question, and we wrap this up. I think it's interesting when when you think about high school football recruits, and it seems like there's a lot of push for hey, one sport athletes focus on the sport you're being recruited for. But it sounds like, at least from an evaluation perspective it kind of helps to have the track background or at least have some times on the track. Is that, when has that been a thing that maybe you've kind of recognized and as, as valuable? Because I do think there, I know at least five to 10 years ago, it, it, there was sort of a swift, you know, at least seems like it's a shift where athletes went from, Hey, well, I'm playing, you know, football in the fall, basketball, winter, baseball in the spring to, Hey, I just want to focus on football because that's where I'm going to be getting my scholarship from to now. It seems like, it doesn't hurt at least to use some time in the spring to work on your speed and your jumps. I think it's real. There's really been a shift. So I, I've covered Texas high school football since 2005. That was my first fall out of college. I was 21 years old. And, uh, you know, I've got to see Denarius Moore play for the Raiders like that. My first fall was didn't really know what I was watching yet, but like I've been doing it a long time now. And, uh, over the years, as my scope has gone from Texas to surrounding states and now nationally, it, you know, back then, like 20, 2005, 2010, I always felt like there was such a, uh, you know, coaches were, were often possessive of their athletes at the high school level. Um, basketball coaches hated it because the football coaches wouldn't let the football guys come out. And, you know, football coaches hated it because there's one guy on the basketball team who, they could really use out there as a tight end or something. And uh, that just seems like it has disappeared in recent years. And uh, everybody is rooting for everybody and everybody's sharing athletes. And I, it's, it's not only is it, is it uh, just, I, th- I think you said it's not a big deal to, not only is it, you know, it's not a neutral, it's a huge, huge plus. The more sports, the better. Uh, it helps you stay in shape. It helps your functional athleticism. And by functional athleticism, that means body movements and patterns and just sheer natural athleticism that help you do things in a competitive live environment instead of just, uh, you know, um, 
40 yard dash, um, the 5105 short shuttle, the vertical, like that stuff is important data. But functional athleticism on the field, on the court, et cetera, uh, is ultimately what decides who makes the plays. And the more sports, I mean, the, the data in recent years is overwhelming. Uh, for example, 2021 NFL first round, uh, 32 picks, obviously, 27 played multiple sports in high school. Hmm. Wow. Um, 21 of those 32 were track and field. Uh, so, I mean, that. You know, I think corner is one example. Um, four to five were at least football and track. Um, the other one was basketball and track. I believe that was Joe Horn's son, J.C. Horn, was a basketball, or basketball football guy. And then the other four were football track, and a couple of them were football, basketball track, and one of them may have been four sports. So, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, the, the – the more sports, the better. And I can tell you in Texas, which I'm, I'm sure uh, here it has long had this reputation. I'm sure outside the state it has a reputation of kind of old school, high school coach, kind of, you know, protecting their players. And these guys are my players and this and that. Man, I tell you, the, the coaches that I deal with down here the last several years, they want their guys running track. They want their guys playing basketball. It, it, is, it, I, it just feels like there's been a, a cultural shift in um, have these kids be as active as possible because it's going to help them just in general. Two sport athletes that play football and track, that falls pretty well into Oregon's wheelhouse considering that the two programs are probably most known for nationally are, are track and football. So I, a guy like Satania obviously was enticed by Oregon's football program, but also it's track and I, track and field program. Um, you know, they host all the big events out here uh, nationally. So mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting kind of thing to think about going forward. I hadn't necessarily considered the track part of it. It makes a lot of sense. Last recruit I wanted to ask you about, and I think one of the more I would say like Oregon fans just don't know exactly what to do or, or think from this guy. And that's Percy Lewis, offensive tackle out of the state of Mississippi, 6'8", 360. So right there is, is, is something that I think intrigues those, uh, you know, who are, are, I guess, looking at Lewis's profile. Also the fact that he's a top rated Juco in the country. Um, what can you tell us about Percy? Because I think you see those measurements in that recruiting ranking and you think this guy's got something kind of intriguing at the very, very least. Well, this is somebody, you know, we talked a bit about Banks already being pretty big and Cam Williams being really big. Um, Lewis, obviously, is enormous. And I think, uh, you know, you mentioned where does Cam Williams fit because they've got Kingsley and, and they, they will have Banks as long as he signs, you know, looking in the future. Uh, Percy Lewis is somebody who I think probably steps on uh, on campus, and yeah, I, I'm not going to say I'm familiar with Oregon's depth chart right now, but right, I, I would have to think he's somebody who steps on campus and is immediately an option if you need him to be. Uh, he's, you know, he 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 moves surprisingly well for somebody as large as he is. Uh, he he heavy-handed is an understatement. Uh, he's he is a slugger uh, in the run game. He, he also, you know, shows the the strength and the functional athleticism to 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 be punchy and pass pro as he's you know kick sliding, which is not easy. You know, it's not easy to uh, you, you think of being uh, 
getting some power and some punch and you think of setting up and stepping into throwing a punch or something, but this is somebody who has upper body, uh, you know, suddenness and, and power while essentially not backpedaling, but, uh, you know, kick sliding, going laterally or, or, or backward. It's, uh, somebody, I, I think he's super high floor. Um, Anytime, you know, I don't know this guy or anything, you know, his backstory or anything, but anytime you got a guy that big, you always wonder about conditioning, staying in shape. But the stuff on tape is is really good. And, you know, he's somebody who uh, I, you know, I don't know if you want a guy that tall at guard, but if you need him to play it, he could certainly play it. And uh, I think he's another one who is just a ready-made right tackle if you're looking for somebody to play there immediately. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing at guard. Six eight feels too big there, but hey, I don't. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm not an yeah. offensive line coach. Uh, <laughs> they can figure it out. Um, well, Gabe, I think I want to end it there because I think we talked about twenty minute podcasts and we just did about forty five. Um, thanks for <laughs> thanks for the time and for giving a little more than I asked for. Um, you know, this class I think is developing in an interesting way in that it's sixteen verbal commitments. Ten of them are outside of the Pac twelve footprint, and you just helped I think Oregon fans get a better feel for about seven of them. So thank you so much for, for your time and for, and for, again, for teaching me a heck of a lot more about these guys that I think I'm going to be covering for the next couple of years at Oregon. Yeah, for sure. Anytime. Uh, just, I'm, I'm glad to be on. I appreciate you having me. All right. For Gabe Brooks and uh, this episode of the Odds and Audible's podcast, Eric Scopel telling you all, have a great rest of your day, and we will talk to you folks later.